beginning of David's life when, when not the beginning of his life, but at the beginning of what we might call his, his uh, kingship. Um, David has been described as, as a man after God's own heart, and yet David was a little bit of a rascal, if you know his whole story. Uh, I think that might be why I identify with David, and, and I like David. He had a heart that burned for God, and yet he was a long way from perfect. He did a lot of things that that you'd say, well, a person with a heart after God wouldn't do those kind of things, and yet David did. David knew what it was to have an intimate walk with God, and David also knew what it was to struggle mightily with his sin. Um, I, I don't know, does that describe you? Does, does that, do you seek out a, a silent place to pray only to have that silence interrupted by the clattering of your collective sins that that constantly distract you from being able to to commune with God I mean does that ever happen for you do you do you you know want so desperately to talk to God and yet when you do and you go to confess and you have so much to confess that you feel like there's this thing in the way I wonder if David ever felt that way I think probably he did uh, if you have ever felt that way, you probably identify with David. And if you're like most people, you like David. I don't, I don't know that I've ever met someone, as I talk to him about Bible characters, that they didn't like David. David's just one of those guys that you, you, you it's hard not to like him. Uh, he's an important person in Scripture to study as well. He, you know, he had a deep walk with God. And uh, like I said, he was called a man after God's own heart. How, how would you like to, at the end of your lifetime, lay it all down and stand before God and him say about you you were a person after my heart that, that would be I think pretty high praise that would be something that we would all want to go after his songs and his poetry have have inspired us our whole life the psalms are some of the most uh, blessed and and uh, awe-inspiring verses of scripture and at, at times like funerals we just draw such strength from the psalms David was a complex man he was a warrior he was a poet he was a musician he was capable of incredible loyalty and yet was capable of of uh, scandalous sin and david's life really shows us the best and worst of humanity and and you think about it to study david is in some ways in many ways it's to study us because david was really the common man's king i think he has an interesting relationship to Jesus as well. They, um, they, they share a lot in common. In fact, in a lot of ways, David is kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus. You can see Jesus coming a little bit in David. When we meet David in 1 Samuel verse 16, and if you have your Bible, turn to that passage, 1 Samuel 16. It's in the Old Testament, it's maybe a third of the way in. God has really had enough of the current king, a guy named Saul, He's not real happy with Saul, and he's deployed his man, God has, this guy named Samuel, who's a prophet, and he's sending Samuel to a little town called Bethlehem. We've heard an awful lot about that place here lately. And he wants Samuel to go and anoint a new king. That's the mission that he gives to Samuel. And that's where we pick up this story, 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? And if you have a pen, I want you to, there's a couple of things I want you to underline because this passage that we're about to read is just, it's full of change. You can just hear the change coming 
as you read these passages, there's a couple of lines I want you to underline just to kind of highlight that. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him? Underline that because that's, that, that's a signal of change. There's something is about to happen. I've rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you. Underline that. That's a, he's, he's signaling a change. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. And then finally, I have chosen, something new's coming, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And so you get several pieces of information just right off the bat in this passage. First of all, Saul's been rejected as the king. Samuel is somewhat grieved over the whole thing regarding Saul. He's, he's, he's upset about it. He's not, uh, he doesn't have peace and he doesn't have rest. He's been grieving. And then uncharacteristically, uh, Samuel argues a bit with God. I argue might be a little strong uh, for the passage, but you get the idea that Samuel is a little uncomfortable about going to anoint a new king with the present king still in existence. Uh, he's, you know, He's worried. I mean, look at what he says in the first part of verse 2. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. In other words, God, how can you expect me to go do this? The minute Saul finds out, he's going to come after me. And I'm worried about that. I don't want to get caught like that. I don't want something to happen to me. So um, the primary purpose for the trip was that Samuel would go to anoint a king. But God does a cool thing for Samuel. He provides Samuel with a cover story i mean there's a little bit of of espionage going on here if you start to look at it the lord said take a heifer with you and say so you know under the guise of offering a sacrifice um take a heifer with you but you're really going to anoint the king and so then we look at verse three invite jesse to the sacrifice and i will show you what to do you are to anoint for me the one i indicate and then we see what made saul uh, what made Samuel a special man. And I would just pause right here and say to you that this really, if you want to boil Scripture down to its base, if you want to get right down to a one-sentence sermon, this is it. Look at this. Samuel did what the Lord said. Listen, I'm telling you right now, that is the basic building block to a successful life. Samuel did what the Lord said. In other words, God, whatever the question is, whatever the command is going to be, I'll do it. The answer is yes before I ever know what you want from me. Samuel seems to have that kind of attitude. And if you're familiar with, with the way Samuel even became a prophet, that, that's just a fascinating story. We'll look at that one of these days. In spite of his fear, in spite of his lack of understanding, he did what God told him to do. He, he may have pushed back a little bit and said, God, if I do this, you know, this is what's going to happen to me, and I'm, I'm going to confess to you. I'm a little nervous about it. I, I'm a little shaken. I, I'm not sure that I want to do this. God said, I'll take care of that, but this is what I want you to do. Samuel did what the Lord said. I, I have a good friend that, that um, lives in another city, and for a while, he was a part-time youth pastor in a small church, and he had these three girls in his youth group that were just very godly, very spiritual girls. Um, I mean, they were really the bedrock of his youth ministry. They, they, they were counselors. They were great uh, role models. They, they knew their Bibles. They were teachers. They, they just, they, they're almost too good to be true. And I, was, I had the, the uh, um, privilege of, of leading a, a, a 
retreat for them one time and I got to meet these girls and be around them a little bit and they were just um, really fascinating to watch them with that youth group and as as my friend and I were talking about those girls he said you know I asked um, their dad one day who was a very connected guy in the church a, an elder he was just a very respected man he said I asked their dad one day how did you get girls like that what, what did you know how how do you raise up kids that turn out like that and this guy's response you know what it was obedience we do what God says uh, and he said that starts with their mother and me first we just do what God says and and we think that if we don't then we aren't set up for blessing and so uh, that is a just a side note. That's a great way to start your new year. We're, we're going to do what God says. Um, you set yourself up for success when you do that. You can tell a lot about a man by the way people react whenever they um, enter the room or whenever they enter a, a city or whatever. You can tell an awful lot about the man by the reaction that the people have to the man. Look at how the people of Bethlehem reacted to Samuel when he shows up in the second part of verse 4. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel assured the men that he had indeed come in peace, and he invited them to a sacrifice. And the Bible says that Samuel consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, I, I'm not sure, but I think at this point, David's not around. So David doesn't get consecrated, and David isn't necessarily invited, it doesn't look like. Maybe he was, but later we're going to find out he was in a field with some sheep. But uh, he, he consecrates the, the older sons. And when they arrived, Samuel got really excited. When the sons start showing up, when Jesse's sons start showing up uh, for this supposed sacrifice, Samuel gets really excited because he sees this guy named Eliab. And he thinks, well, surely, you can see in verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He's thinking to himself, you know, this has got to be the guy. I mean, look at him. He is king material if ever I've seen king material. This has got to be the guy that I came to anoint. This has got to be the one that's going to rise up and be the next king and is going to replace Saul. He was not. The next verse makes it clear, and it's one of my favorite Old Testament verses. If you've got a pen, you want to circle this in your Bible because this verse really informs my drive you know, when I talk about being spiritual as opposed to looking spiritual, let me just say, it's easy to look spiritual. It's real easy to do that. You can, all you got to do is go to Open Door or some bookstore, get you a great big huge black Bible, you know, get, get a couple of bulletins and stick them in there, and go around and say sanctified and consecrated a lot, and pray with these and thous, and, and you know, use a... Use a God led me once in a while or God spoke to me occasionally and people will think that you're really spiritual it's easy to look spiritual it's very difficult to be spiritual and you know what you need to understand about cross lane if you're a visitor with us you need to understand that we around here and I I got to confess to you sometimes I get my the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when I get the sense that people are more interested in how we look than how we are um, and so I had a conversation not too long ago with somebody, and they, they basically were implying that we didn't look very spiritual. Well, I could feel them, you know, kind of coming up. And I, I just, this whole idea came back to me, I want us to be spiritual. I don't really care if we look all that spiritual. Um, God knows, and we know, and that's really all that's important. But, but what informs that way of thinking for me is this particular verse of Scripture. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Keep in mind, Samuel's got his eyes on Eliab, the firstborn son of Jesse, and he's thinking, this is the guy. And God's saying, no. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. See, you can't always see what's going on in someone's heart. What happens in somebody's heart, oftentimes, I mean, a lot of times it will manifest itself, but what happens in a man's heart or in a woman's heart when they're before God, no one else knows what that is. And, and, and you know, you, some, later on in David's life, if you were to watch David and see some of the things that he did, you'd say, I don't know that that's a heart that reflects, uh, you know, a heartbeat for God. And yet, David was called a man after God's own heart. So I, I want us to, to, to be spiritual. don't really care if we look spiritual. Um, and it's been my experience. I'll just, as a little side note, it's been my experience that when I've run across somebody that was too good to be true, spiritually speaking, when they looked like they had it all put together and they said all the right things and they, you know, they knew all the Bible verses and they prayed better than everybody else and, and they, they just, you know, didn't, you thought, well, surely they don't ever sin because, I mean, look at them. I mean, they're perfect. You know what that's been my, my experience? Those are the people that you have to watch out for. It's been my experience that those are the people that when you turn your back, you're going to get stabbed. When, you, when you're not careful around people like that, they're going to hurt you. That those people are often the people who seem to know God the least when you really get close and you really start to hang out with them. It's like, you know, they figured out how to look good, but when it comes to actually having an intimate relationship with God, warts and all, it makes you wonder. Jesse begins to call his sons in before Samuel one by one. So it wasn't Eliab. God said, no, it's not him. They bring in the next one. No, it's not him. They bring in the next one. No, it's not him. I mean, they go through all these sons that Jesse has, and, and they get to the end, and God is saying no to all these sons. And if you're Samuel, you're thinking, okay, first of all, I've risked my life to come even do this. I, I've got this whole other thing going on where we're supposed to be doing the sacrifice thing, and I've got the heifer, and you know, I've done that whole deal, and yet there still doesn't seem to be the one that God has provided. God said he'd pick somebody. Where is he, God? I mean, come on, you, you've brought me this far. You're just going to bring me this far to make me look like a fool? Ask, answer me this question. Have you ever felt that way? H- have you ever done something that you thought God was calling you to do, and you come right up to the edge, and you say, wait a minute. You know, I thought God was in this thing. I thought, I thought God was leading me to this place. And you're coming to the end, and you're thinking, he's not going to show up. He, I mean, he's, he's led me on a wild goose chase. And, and, you know, this whole thing's going to fall apart. But look at what verse 11 says. So, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? You ever been treated as if you didn't exist? You ever been treated like you really weren't wanted? You ever been picked last? David wasn't even here to see this whole thing play out, but I bet if we could ask him, David would have confessed to feeling a little different than his brother's. It's possible that David's wisdom and his contemplative nature got its start as he hung out in the field with these sheep. And he had a lot of time on his hands, and he had a lot of thoughts. He had a lot of time to, to ponder things and to think about stuff. And I think it's, it's highly possible that that's where a lot of David's wisdom came from. Jesse can't even, his dad can't even imagine that David would be the one that, would, that, that Samuel would be interested in. I, he doesn't even think about David. 
he, he certainly didn't invite him in from the field to come get consecrated, it doesn't seem like. And, and it looks like he's, he's you know, kind of an afterthought. And Jesse says, verse 11, the second part, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending sheep. In other words, you're not interested in him. I mean, come on. He's going to come in out of the field. He's going to smell bad. <laughs> he's, he's not going to be dressed up. He is not going to look like the kind of guy that I think you're looking for, Samuel. Implication, you don't want him. He's not the right kind of guy. He's a, a shepherd. He's not important. He's not old enough. He's not mature. He's, he's just not what you're looking for. And then I love Samuel's resolve. Once he learns that there's one more son, look at Samuel's response. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. You remember how terrified those people were when Samuel first walked into the to the city and they were all nervous and they really wanted to know the one question they had was have you come in peace Samuel said yeah I've come in peace and so when he says you go get him and we don't sit down until he gets here I mean can you imagine how fast those people started to move to go get uh, David the son of Jesse in in front of Samuel verse 12 so he sent and had him brought in he was ruddy I've always, that's always been an interesting word to me in Scripture. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. In other words, he was a good-looking guy. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. I love the way the message describes David. It, the, the message says this. Jesse sent for him. He was brought in the very picture of health, bright-eyed and good-looking. And so when David shows up, the Bible says that you have this handsome healthy looking very fine in appearance young man and he probably smelled a little funny but he really looked good and, and jesse wasn't even going to include him in the discussion jesse uh you know it, david's an afterthought but god is about to teach everybody a lesson in this whole thing including samuel he's about to teach everybody a really important lesson i take you back to verse seven the lord does not look at the things man looks at Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, God's choices do not always make sense to us. The, the things that God decides are important, and the people that God decides to use, sometimes they don't make any sense to us. How many times have you been in the middle of something, and you were pretty sure that it was where God wanted you, but you just couldn't figure out why? I had a conversation with somebody about two, three weeks ago, and um, it's, it's obvious to me why God has them doing what they're doing. And yet they were explaining to me, I can't figure out why God picked me to do this. You know, sometimes we're the last ones to know, I guess. And looking at David, it would be really difficult to figure out why God would choose David to be the next king. I mean, he's just out in the field watching some sheep. What, what could possibly be special about David? But there are a couple of things worth noting about David. First of all, he shared a very important genealogy. He he was in the line of judah matthew tells us that both jesus and david were descendants of judah and uh th that was one of the sons of jacob in fact in genesis 49 jacob uh blesses judah and this is what he tells judah this is this is how the the line of jesus gets started listen to this this comes out of genesis 49 judah your brothers will praise you your hand will be on the neck of your enemies your father's sons will bow down to you you are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he 
crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. This is the important part. The scepter will not depart from Judah. What that's saying is that the scepter, Jesus is going to come through this line, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. David was not some random choice as far as God was concerned. He was very important in the genealogy of Jesus. When you start looking through the genealogy of Jesus, you begin to see a bunch of flawed people. And you, you know, if you think about it for very long, it starts to dawn on you that the only perfect person in the line of Jesus was Jesus himself. I don't know what your family tree looks like, <laughs> but chances are good it's got a couple of characters in it. My family tree has quite a few characters in it. My grandfather, I could, uh, I could entertain you for hours with stories about my grandfather and his notorious temper. I won't do that. But Jesus was the only one in his family tree that was perfect. And that should serve as a reminder to us that, that God's grace is able to take people that you would look at and say, well, I don't even know that they're usable. I, don't, I mean, why would God use somebody like that? We want to be perfect. You know, we, we, we want so badly, now we would never admit this, mind you, this is something that we keep under wraps, but secretly, I think, we want to get to a place where we really don't need God. We want to be perfect. We want to be able to do it all ourselves. We want to be able to be all put together and, and really not have to be all that dependent on God. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we'd say, you know, I don't like it that I have to be that dependent. I don't like it that that's the way I'm wired and, and that I, I can't be better than I am. You know where that goes to? You know what that's, where that got its start? It goes all the way back to when they tried to build the tower at Babel. It was really their attempt to say, hey, we're going to do something uh, on our own. Uh, the Tower of Babel, I don't know if you, how much you know about humanism, but there's this philosophy called humanism. And that's really where it got its start. We don't need God. We can do this on our own. Humanism says we'll solve all the world's problems. We don't need God. We, we've got all the, you know, man's smart. We can, we can invent new technology. We can invent new medicines. We can invent cures for things. We'll, we'll fix AIDS. We'll fix cancer. We're smart. We can do it on our own. That's what humanism says. Uh, you know, you don't need God to fix things. And that, that goes all the way back. It really got its start. It started to kick in at the Tower of Babel. But we have to return to Scripture, I think, and, and, and go to Romans. Don't, don't turn there, but this is a verse that I, I probably quote this verse as much as any verse in sermons throughout the year. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ. God chose David. And, and, and at first glance, you look at it and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But here's what you have to remember. God doesn't work on sense. God is not interested in all of it making sense to you or making sense to me. He works on grace. God works completely on grace. You know, I still have not figured out... <laughs> what i'm doing preaching i know me and and there are days that quite honestly if you knew me like i know me you wouldn't let me preach to you I, i'm still trying to figure out how god looked at me one day and said that's going to be a preacher i mean I, I could tell you a story about when i was in the first grade went to my first grade sunday school class i had a, a sunday school teacher named miss christian how's that for like 
Bible story. Miss Christian looked at my mom and said, that young man's going to go into ministry. I, I still haven't figured out you know, what God was thinking when he decided that Brett Wilson needed to be in ministry. It, it, I mean, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense. But God doesn't operate on sense. God operates on grace. And God says, by my grace, this one's going to go into ministry. Now, I don't know what, what God has picked for you. But you may look at it and you may say, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Why would God, I, this, I go back to this conversation I had with this person a couple, three weeks ago. They were saying, you know, it, it, it makes no sense that I would be in this place. Well, it makes sense if you consider the fact that God's grace is huge. It makes sense when you understand that God's able to overlook an awful lot of flaws to be able to get out of us what he needs for the moment. David wasn't perfect he wasn't divine but God used him to teach us the truth about the one who was perfect and God used him to teach us the truth about the one who was God here's something interesting for you I don't know if you know this or not but Jesse when you read the name Jesse in the Old Testament Jesse that name is a personal name but you know what it means it means man so you know what that makes David it makes David the son of man you know what name Christ called himself more than any other in the New Testament? You know what he referred to himself as all the time? The Son of Man. So technically, in this line that Jesus comes through, David, who was this, you know, let's be honest, at times David was a messed up dude. I mean, later on in his life, David did things that we would, we would just cover our eyes and our mouth and say, how scandalous is that? And yet, David was the son of man, was in the line and would be the one through whom Jesus would come. Something else worth noting about David is his occupation. Sometimes I think God calls us in spite of our circumstances. And I think we expect God to call us because of our circumstances. We expect God to call us because we've got the right resume or because we've done this or because we've done that. And we would point to the glowing things. We, you know, we look at God and we say, well, God, look at what I did here. And look what I did here. When you go to get a job, you typically highlight the things that you have done successfully. You don't point to the failures. And yet I think a lot of times God looks at our failures and says, because you did this, it perfectly qualifies you to do this. And so oftentimes, while we would think God's calling us in spite of our failures or in spite of our occupation or in spite of whatever our circumstances are, the fact of the matter is I think God calls us because of those circumstances, because of the things that we've been through. Is it possible that David's being a shepherd is part of the reason that God decided to use him in the first place? God was working in David's life from the very beginning. Listen to the way, beautiful way that David describes his own calling. This is, comes out of, uh, out of Psalm 78. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. The same God that prepared David is preparing you. What are your skills? What, what are your experiences? What, what things have you been through in your life? I think God takes those things and wants to take those things and use those mightily for his will and his purpose. I think that God wants to affect his will through the things that you've experienced. Many times, things that you would look at and say, why am I going through this? Well, you know, why, why do I have to 
do this. Why, th- this isn't fun. You've heard me say this before. I've been through some things. The, the lessons I have learned, life lessons, the things that have stuck with me my whole life, I did not learn those with a smile on my face. I don't know how God teaches you. But the things that I carry with me that are life lessons that I say, I'm not ever going to do that again, I learn those with a frown on my face. Some of the stuff we go through, you know, you, you, you experience things and, and you wouldn't wish some of the things that you've been through on your worst enemy. And yet I wouldn't trade some of the lessons I've learned in those times for anything. There are still things that I, I have endured and gone through in my life, and I've not, I make it sound like I've lived this horrible life. I haven't. But we've all experienced things that we would rather not talk about. We've all experienced things that we say, you know what, that is a painful time for me, and I, I just don't want to revisit that, and I can't imagine that God could ever use that. You know what, I look back in my life, and those things get used in ministry all the time. I can't tell you how many times in counseling I've, I've done something with somebody, talked about something, and I've done it from my own experience. There have been times that I, I've, I've had jobs that um, were far beyond my skill set. I had no business doing those things. I, I've had jobs where I went to the job and I was miserable. I know what it is to clock in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and hate your job and, th- and think to yourself, how long do I have to do this? I'm smarter than this. I mean, any monkey could do what I'm doing. Why do I have to do this? I know what it's like to feel that way. I think God let me feel that and let me experience that because he knew at some point I would be dealing with people that that was their world and that was their existence. And he knew that I was going to have to have some influence in their life. You ever felt like whatever you do for a living is really of no value to God? You ever feel like, God, how can you use this? What are you up to? What, I don't understand. God may have plans for your abilities and your skills and your circumstances that you don't know about. And you've just got to be faithful. And you've just got to continue to let God mold you and work in you and set you up to do the thing so that when your moment comes and he needs you, you're ready. I have a, a friend who, uh, he, he used to have a job, he works for the same company now, but um, he, he used to have a job where he, it was, the hours were really weird. And a lot of times he would work at night in this, uh, in this factory and he worked in the laboratory and he basically tested these, these pellets. They would bring him these pellets and he would run a test on them and he would write up a report and then he would send it out. And so really all they needed him for was about three or four times a night in, a, in the course of a shift uh, he, they needed him for about 15 minutes to do whatever it was that he needed to do. And he, he told me, he w- used to get really, we'd talk about it. He'd say, Brett, you know, my job, I can't imagine any, a first grader could do what I do. He said, what I do is not hard. It's not all that important. And I just, I can't figure out why God has me here. And so he had all this free time. And he said, Brett, I've cleaned everything in there. It's spotless. I wipe it down. He said, I look around for things to do. I want to honor God. There's nothing left for me to do. He said, so that my boss has told me, if you have free time, bring your books. Read, study. You want to read your Bible? You go right ahead. Just be ready when when we need you for that 15 minutes. Be ready. He went years. He did a youth ministry part-time for a while. and, And his office... And his bosses knew this, really, was when he went to work. He would bring all of his stuff in, and he would lay it out, and he would work on it. When the work would come in, he'd work his 15 minutes, two or three, four times a night. And he said, Brett, how's God using this? I said, man, God is is allowing this company to basically subsidize you as a youth pastor 
for this small church. And, and they, they were all okay with it. it you know, if the, if the business hadn't been good with it, I would have said, hey, you shouldn't do that. But the bosses were saying, no, that's fine. If, if, if you want to do that, that's fine. Just make sure the place is clean. Just do your thing. Don't ever think that to follow God means that you have to throw away what God made you to be. I doubt that David ever felt important or spiritual when he was out in the field watching over a bunch of sheep. I mean, you think that a guy like David, a young kid, is out there watching these sheep and he's thinking to himself, I am important. I mean, I'm a shepherd. It's the most important job in the world. I doubt seriously that David felt that way. I doubt seriously that David really felt all that spiritual. When David showed up in front of Samuel, <laughs> Samuel didn't move. You know, he'd already been through this. I mean, he's, he's, all these sons, I think there were six of them that, that get paraded in front of, of Samuel, Jesse's sons, and every one of them, God said, no, that's not the, that's not the one. And then all of a sudden, David comes in, and, and Samuel's already made the mistake of getting excited about the other sons. And so he, in his mind, he's thinking, oh, I'm not falling for that again. I mean, I'm just going to sit here until, uh, until God says to move. Which is exactly what happens in the last part of verse 12. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Then and only then did Samuel get up and spring into action. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Samuel rises up. And I expect with a certain level of awe and reverence. Can you imagine that moment when, when Samuel rose up after he's watched all these sons paraded by and then he sees this kid and God says, hey, this is the one right here. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Samuel to, to gather up your oil and your instruments and, and make your move toward this, this young one and what it would be like to know that you were anointing the next king of Israel? as you poured the oil out on his head and you watched it spread, can you imagine how, how the reverence that you would feel and the, the holiness of the moment that you would feel? And looking on that day were David's brothers. And you just wonder what's going through their mind. And the Bible says from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Just a side note, it's the only way the Spirit comes, in power. When the Spirit comes, He comes in power. You, 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 you can't think about the Spirit in weak terms. The Spirit is a powerful force. Second Chronicles 16.9 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. It's, it's way up there for me in the Old Testament. I love what it says. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely his that day the eyes of the lord scanned and moved to and fro throughout the earth and they settled on a small obscure village called bethlehem and in that village there was a family and there was a, the father's name was jesse and in that family there was a kid named david and 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 god would find that boy who would grow into a man a man of whom it would be said was a man after god's own heart and he found a boy with a heart that was tender toward lost sheep. He would strongly support that boy his whole life. I don't know all the specifics in your life. 
I, I don't know what, what all your struggles are and I don't know what your insecurities are. I don't know how lost you feel. I don't know how obscure you feel when you think about God. Does God even know I'm here? Maybe you work in a cubicle off by yourself and you think, man, how does anybody even know that I exist? Maybe you work in what you think is a dead-end job and you think there's no way God can use me in this job. Who knows what God has in mind for you? Many of you in our church know June Crazy. June uh, came to me about halfway through last year. She caught me out in the lobby and she was really distressed. And she said, Brett, you know, I'm, I'm getting older and I just don't know how God can use someone like me. I said, June, <laughs> you pray, you're here, you got a smile on your face, you're greeting people all the time. Of course God can use you. June Crazy was used by God I can think of at least eight, nine different occasions in the second half of last year as she connected with new people to this church, made them feel important, made sure that they got their needs taken care of. She did things that I think would embarrass her if I told you, but, but uh, she looked out for people in special ways. Here's this woman who thinks that she, she really d- isn't all that significant, and yet from my vantage point I've seen June do things and thought to myself man one of the most significant people in this church in terms of what she's been able to do for some of the visitors that came our way here's the question I have for you and it's an important question is your heart completely his in 2007 that's the question you need to ask yourself is your heart completely his does your heart burn to do his will if so the eyes of the lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his god will see it he'll see your circumstance he'll see your experience he'll see what you've got going on and he'll say i can use that and he'll have a a part for you to play I'm not going to tell you the little fellow's name, but there's a, a coach over here at Terrytown Baseball. I have since Bennett was little, Biddy. And uh, last year, Tanner, I coached Tanner's team, and Tanner, uh, um, the team struggled. They, they had a hard time. It got better as the season went on, but there was this one little fellow, and he didn't play a whole lot. Um, just to put it bluntly, he was not very good. Um, that's being nice. <laughs> He really, he really was not very good at all. Um, but I've made this comment to my sons in talking about this little boy. I said, you know, I have never seen a young man who wanted to be good as much as him. I've never seen a, a kid um, who loved baseball as much as this little kid and he you know he he had glasses on and he was he was skinny and he was he was small and he was uncoordinated and and you know he he would come and boy he came one day he had a new batting glove and he really felt like he was just so important and special i loved this little kid because i don't care whether we were winning by a little bit or whether we were getting killed which was the case a lot of the time he was cheering his teammates on and he was happy and boy he wanted to play and coach am I going to get in are you going to put me in and he couldn't wait to get in but if he didn't get in or if we went and said hey not this inning next inning, okay okay I'll be ready 
we'd hit balls to him in the outfield and he you know he when he would finally catch one stick his glove out kind of like that you know and look and there'd be the ball in the glove it, I mean no, he was happy we were happy the other team cheered for this kid when he caught balls okay I mean it's just the kind of kid that you think bless his heart I, he I've coached over there for about 12 years probably longer than that he's probably my favorite kid that I've ever seen not because he had gobs of talent not because he he looked all that good or coordinated not because he was cool I mean there's some really cool kids over there fun to talk to hang out with some of them go to this church but he's my favorite because he wanted so badly to be used on the baseball field he couldn't wait for his moment to be significant and i'm telling you anytime he did anything worth praising i was all over that kid oh man way to take a walk you know he'd get hit he got hit in the batter's box one day and it hurt and you knew it hurt oh way to take one for the team good job did i do good coach you did great do you understand that's how god looks at you you understand all he's looking for is somebody whose heart is full for him who says god i just put me in just i you know i don't even care i'll do whatever you want me to do i just want to i just want to make you happy i mean this, it was really the goal of this kid to make his coaches happy and anytime he did anything i mean it was just a joy for me to even watch him take the field because he did it with such joy and passion i mean this kid was terrible but it didn't matter he was in the game and he and he wanted to be used and his heart was was full on for baseball my question for you in this next year is your heart a heart that is full for god is your does your heart burn to say god i don't care what the question is yes i don't care what you need me to do how how meaningful how seemingly little meaning there is to whatever it is you're asking me yes i'll do it the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That's what we need to be about. That's the kind of church we need to be about. Individually, that's the kind of person you need to be. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever your circumstance, God is looking for people whose heart is completely his. Let's pray. Father, whatever positions you put us in whatever um, circumstances we have sometimes lord we our passion can kind of wane if we feel like it's not all that big a deal it's easy for us to to kind of think that that uh you know the cool stuff is for somebody else that there's really no way that god would ever be able to use me and i pray lord that you would just change our thinking on that and Father, I pray that our church would become the kind of church where um, people know we're spiritual, not because of how we look, but they know we're spiritual because of a deep walk with you and a walk that is really marked by the idea that whatever you tell us we're going to do, that we will be obedient, that we'll be like Samuel, that when God said to do it, he did it. Father, there are people this morning in this building right now that um, they work in what they consider obscure jobs. They really think that where they go each day is pretty much a dead end. 
and they can't imagine what it is that you've got for them there. I pray, Lord, that you would just fill them with faith so that they would leave here this morning confident and know that if their heart burns for you, you've got something for them. And it may be at work, and it may be at home, it may be here. But your heart will leap, and your heart will be joyful when you see them completely yielded to you with a heart that has a passion for what you want to do in the lives of lost people. Father, may we be the kind of church in 07 that pursues your glory with passion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us and let's just sing this chorus again. This is my desire. <laughs>